the greater an artist is, the more they're able to make other people feel not alone mm-hmm. in, what they're, in whatever they're going through. And able you, to feel, make people feel connected. Connected. You know what I mean? And for the pain that DMX represented, that's a very deep pain. Yeah, that's true. For, for the black person in America. Like, he kind of took the compounded pain and struggles and everything fucked up that can come from that, from not having a dad to having a mom. Yeah. Uh, to his mentor lacing yes, crack and his Yeah, to all those, yeah, all those things yeah. that kind of come from uh, an environment that has been built upon you and then you have to just crawl out of yeah. hands and knees. He sacrificed himself for people to feel not alone in that. And that's obviously what makes sense why he has mental health issues and why other artists have mental health issues. Somebody else's pain is basically our entertainment. Oof. And it's pretty crazy when that's you look a back bar. on it. You know, like... What's up, guys? Welcome back to episode number 54 of Connection is Magic. Thank you so much for coming back and tuning in. This week, we have on my good friend and someone I go way back with, Matthew Boss. He's co-founder of Bad Habit Records. They have on their label such artists as The Neighborhood, Umi, Yeek, and another artist that you may know as Burna Boy, who just won a Grammy this year for Best Global Music Album, Twice as Tall. We get into Matthew moving here from another country, having to learn English through pop culture and music. We also get into artists channeling their mental health issues into their music. Him growing up around the Fairfax scene, becoming a mentor to Earl Sweatshirt, pre-Odd Future, and getting to see the early come up of Tyler the Creator. We also get into being funded by a bazillionaire soft drink company founder, uh, getting put up at a suite at the Sunset Marquee for 30,000 bucks a month. That was when I was hanging around him. So we go way back, like 10 plus years. Can't wait to have you guys check this one out. Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to Connection is Magic. I'm your host, Samson Shulman, a former music executive turned podcaster and coach. In a world obsessed with the highlight reel and keeping our difficulties hidden behind the curtain, we end up feeling lonely and isolated, and opportunities for human connection are missed. On this podcast, we dive deep with our guests and get them to share those dreaded, unfiltered pieces. We learn how to make lemonade out of life's lemons and realize adversity isn't sent to break us, but rather shape us into the greatest versions of ourselves. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Now let's begin our journey back home to connection. <laughs> Matt Boss in the building. Um, uh, thanks, man. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, dude, crazy, crazy shit. Am I seeing your company tattooed on your leg? Yeah. That's like next level right uh, there. For life Bro. over here. I don't Kurt. even think, I think Tupac had the chain, the death row chain. Like, I don't know if he got death row Kurt. tatted. This is actually our first merch stuff. Uh, Mr. Cartoon right. designed it. So he, Kirk got the whole thing on his arm. That's and incredible. And his wife's face. She's our first lady. She keeps us sane, keeps <laughs> Kirk sane, keeps me sane. So yeah. Bro. I feel like I'm in Venice. You know what I'm saying? I'm missing, <laughs> I'm missing that hat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm He's not, talking about the big brim hat. Yes, exactly. Not, it's like the Venice starter kit. What else is included in the Venice starter kit? Probably Tom's. <laughs> Probably Tom's. Um, some type of beige to off-white shorts. Actually, that's, that's right accurate. Right above my knee. <laughs> that's accurate. Maybe seersucker, if we're feeling froggy. Um, and a chambray long sleeve button up right to the middle. <laughs> 
and my motherfucking Oliver people <laughs> interview over. Listen, I'm preparing myself for that 405. When I hit the other side of the 405, LA, you ain't gonna see me again. I'm gonna be in that other LA. He just said he's going to Santa Barbara. You said he's going to Santa Barbara. You're saying the other LA, the other side. Now I'm too far in now. I just gotta go to Santa Barbara at this point. When I parked my car, I was like, we made it a long way today. Oh my god, bro. Keep it pushing. Amazing. Well, when when you when you rolled in here, we we talked immediately about mental health, right, and the importance of mental health. Yeah, and you've been on that. You've been aware of that for a minute, right? I mean, because I mean, yeah, I've dealt with a lot of different kinds of mental. You've been around a lot of artists in your time. Every I think every single artist, like that's what DM like we kind of led to DMX, but yeah, DMX and a lot of artists like him. They sacrifice mm-hmm. themselves in order for other people to feel like somebody yeah. relates to them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And like the greater an artist is to me, is the more they're able to make other people feel not alone mm-hmm. in, what they're, in whatever they're going through. Or and able you, to feel, make people feel connected. Connected. You know what I mean? And that's why. For the pain that yeah. DMX represented, that's a very deep pain. Yeah, that's true. For, for the black man you know what i'm saying and the black woman and the, the black person in america like he kind of took the compounded pain and struggles and everything fucked up that can come from that from not having a dad to having a mom yeah. uh to his mentor lacing yes, crack and his yeah, to uh, all those, blonde. yeah all those things yeah. that kind of come from uh an environment that has been built upon you and then you have to just crawl out of yeah. hands and knees for sure um he sacrificed himself for people to feel not alone in that. Mm. Um, and that's obviously it makes sense why he has mental health issues and why other artists have mental health issues. Um, somebody else's pain is basically our entertainment. Oof. And it's pretty crazy. When that's you look a back bar. On it, you know, that's like, a bar. Even now when you look on it, the thing that brought us closest to him was everything that brought him pain, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Amy Winehouse immediately same, comes to mind, you know? Vibe, yeah, and like, yeah. you're going through so much mental health yeah. shit. And like the stories they're telling... They hit because even if you're not addicted to heroin, you know somebody has an addiction problem. But you know the struggle of everybody losing love. You, everybody being a human being, hit. you struggle, man. Yeah, I heard this crazy quote that was so dope, and it's like we're all in the same storm, and some of us have yachts, and some of us have canoes, and some of us just have this little light, light you know, light vest in the water. But we're some all of us in the are same storm, and we just, <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, that that's, that exists too. We were also chatting before we started about how mental health has kind of been this emerging thing that more people are talking about. Don't you feel like that was so prior to COVID sort of taking over? And yeah. then I, don't you think COVID maybe like poured gasoline on that fire? I think COVID just advanced uh, pretty much every conversation in yeah. the world. It's like, I feel like uh, no matter what side of the fence you sit on, everybody wants the whole world to change. Mm. They want the government to change. They want their money to change. They want the society to change. Everybody just has like... Unless you were born like before 1950, I'm still yeah, convinced. Like, yeah, when like you're with that's, that, that, but you know. that era is gone. Like everybody wants the new 1950. You know? <laughs> Wait, like, what do you mean everyone like wants the new 1950? Like the new, what's the new Pleasantville? Mm. Like what's the new like something to actually aspire towards? Yeah, because it's like the everybody knows the American dream is like a fraud in some ways. You know what I'm saying? Like that's it like is. kind of that's like. Let's talk about that, bro. That's worth breaking down. Like, how is it a fraud? And like, I mean, like, where did it go I think wrong? I, well, like, you know? I, well, I think it's like, uh, it's a fraud in presentation. You mm. know what I'm saying? It's like, over time we've learned, like, 
it's like that uh like that one video where they show uh where people but kind of where it's kind of like the analogy you said it's like where people start off in life so they have like 100 kids yeah. line up at like the scrimmage line of a football field mm-hmm. and said which one of you have two parents then they walk up five yards then which one of you went to high school walk up five yards which one of you get weekly allowance walk up five yards and once you start to look at it it's like there's kids already at the 70 yard line most of the kids at the five or haven't even walked up yet black kids you know what I'm saying? Mm. And it's kind of like all these little things True. that help you move forward in American society. Even if you stood in, in the fucking grove and you just stood and took 100 pe- random people mm-hmm. until you could do a random population breakdown of how America is. So if, if out of every 113 of them are black and you've, mm. seven is Asian, whatever. You broke that down. I feel like you would still get the same kind of results. So you're not even feeling that it existed, the American dream existed at some point in time, like, and then it faded? Like, no, 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 you're saying it never really existed. I mean, it existed for white people. Mm, Yeah, I think that's that's true. I think that's true. That's the whole make make America great again vibe. Yeah, well, that's like that. It's bizarre to me. I get why they want that. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, what is that? Survival of the fittest. You guys go back to where you were at. Go back to where you're from. That's yeah, you start saying shit if like you're that. You're used to privilege. Equality feels like you're being marginalized. Yeah, it's like all of a sudden you're losing your power. Yeah, and we live off yeah. power. Like every the, that's the, how the yeah. society works. I feel like it's like Chris Rock said in one of his stand-ups, bro. Like. He, he lives in, like, obviously the nicest neighborhood ever. In, New, in Jersey. Yeah, yeah, did you hear him share about that? Yeah. He's like, man, he's like, I know that guy had to do this and that guy had to do that, but I had to do 20 times what they had he to goes, do. That guy's just a dentist. Remember that? He goes, he's just a fucking dentist. You just go to fucking school for that. There ain't no fucking school for, like, making fun of your fucked up life in front of everybody and showing your ass. Like, every like it's kind of crazy. Um. Wow. But that's like, that's, that's you know. That's, that's as real as it gets right that's there. That's what America yeah. kind of is. Yeah. You got to dance and you got to dance and yeah. do your thing and do your jig. In, in school, we got this class called Society in, in the Individual where they mm-hmm. bring people's attention to the fact that it's not an equal playing field, which sounds dumb it's as fuck that people would need to be told that, but like people well, do. It's like, it's the same and this guy literally kinda... didn't know. This white dude in the circle that's... didn't know, bro. Why, why should he know? That's true. And that, no, but dude started to get emotional towards the end, which, which was dope. Like, because well, he was sitting there talking about black people. Because there's a lot of people like, on the yeah. other, other side of it where I know people from certain parts of LA that have never been to the beach before. Serious? Yeah. They live here their whole life. They've they know, never they been to Santa Monica. No, they know their neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? Damn. Like, on the flip side, the people that are brought up in like supreme privilege, I feel like they go fucking crazy too. Yeah. Because it's, it's like. I got a $12 million jet and I'm looking at the guy with like the $40 million jet and I feel worthless. <laughs> they got that shit going on. Yeah, that's mad. Again, that's like mental health issues. At that point, that's mental those health are mental issues. health issues. Like you're over here. But you agree, absolutely. Those well, people do exist know, and you know, those people do kill themselves. That's real shit. Like, somebody bought us a $40 million jet and you have a $12 million jet. <laughs> you're tweaking out about that like you got mental you got mental health issues you bro. got like, mental health like, issues that's real shit like, it's hard to feel sympathy for that person with the 12 million dollar jet and the 40 million dollar jet but but the fact of the matter is bro is no nah, like they're they're in pain too it sounds them. ridiculous it's hard it's hard for me even to like be like man i sympathize but like pain is pain at the end of the day like it's well, mental health it's issues a lot, or of, mental a health lot issues. of the things you know in life are it's like uh, a lot of things in life are what cause pain for people it's like they say well, some of the most unhappy people are, are the richest people it's like yeah. what's that more money more problems the more you get the more bullshit comes with it 
the more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to maintain. The bigger your house, the yeah. more money you got to spend to keep your, the big house. Congratulations on the Grammy, bro. Thanks, man. That's Thank you. Fucking, Thank you. That's fucking beautiful. Hey, like, especially whole, since I've, know, gang, I've, I've whole known whole you, team, I feel man. like almost day one. Like, we go way yeah, back, go way from, the fuck back. Too far back. I'm talking right now. Trust me. You know, obviously, Connection is Magic is like the whole thing is designed to like talk about these transitions and talk about how like we all feel it like we all feel called to some to do something does that make mm. sense like even from like an early age you probably felt like man pulled in a certain direction yeah but like there's a lot of struggle and a lot of resistance and like i want to set this platform up to show people on some inspirational shit to just keep pushing through that resistance you know what I mean? Yeah. I and mean, it's like, let's talk about some of those resistance points if you're down. Yeah. Uh, when we started getting to know each other, there's that, there's like the soft drink company, Neuro, which some people might not know, but mm. we're like super well-funded to say the least, like beyond, <laughs> beyond well-funded. Yeah, they were good. Yeah. And, and, and like, um, and so, um, uh, you know, basically, man, I caught you with the sunset marquee just posted up. That was the fucking office. Nice 30 racks a month just chilling. And I'm like, man, this is great. And, and, and that was like kind of at that time, obviously, that was like your kind of biggest thing, right? That, that, that happened to you up yeah. to that point. Yeah. Um, I mean, because, yeah, the woman who um, owned the drink company was also an investor in a, like a creative production company that me and my friend Barney started. Yeah. Uh, you guys might all, all know him as Susboy the big graphic designer, multimedia artist, uh, creative director for so many people. That's my, me and him, that's my nigga. Day one, yeah, day, day one. Day yeah. one, me and Barney, uh, yeah, he taught me so much, so much. He did everything from like, everything with like, we did it. So back when Shlomo and R.L. Grime and Bauer and all those dudes were first starting off, Deej, doing a lot of their graphics, visuals, um, logos, stuff for mixed management, Ben and all them, um, we're doing like a lot of their creative, like the Bauer Harlem Shake artwork. We designed that. It was like my chain. We turned my chain into Bauer. That's crazy. That Bauer um, Harlem Shake thing was the biggest thing on Yeah, I remember, big, like five I remember minutes, when Ben you know? and Mason came to, when we had the mansion. The, I don't know if you came to the Neuro Mansion. No, because that was so after yeah, the after Sunset the Mar Marquee? Yeah, after okay, the Marquee. Right. So after the Marquee, we moved us to like a private <laughs> estates up on the top of Sunset Plaza. Oh, it was like us and three other cribs. I think the weekend is Tiger or some other niggas moved into the crib after us. <laughs> That's crazy. Bro, it was like, yes, same kind of situation. Um, ben and Mason come up one day and they're like, That's Bowers Management, yeah, by the way. Yeah. They're like, yo, there's these kids out of New York. They got this new thing. It's called Trap. And at that time, they were already managing Clockwork, who was also R.L. Grime. Henry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Clockwork was like, yo, he's going to start. They're doing Trap. It was early Trap music mm -hmm. production. Um, so it's like, yeah, Clockwork's doing a thing called Earl Grime. He's going to be like that. And then um, there's this kid, Bowie. You got the song. I don't know. It's kind of like, let me just play. He played Harlem Shack. I was like, bro, this shit's fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I ain't never heard nothing like this. Like, for real. Because yeah, at that time, I hadn't like ventured in. I had probably just gone to EDC like twice. Mm. Or hard, harder EDC in LA. Like around that time. Like this was like 2010, 2011. So I was just getting introduced to electronic music on yeah. that tip. Like Skrillex, who I'd known Sonny since we were like. 14, 15. You go back with Sonny? Yeah, but like on a whole different tip because he knew a whole bunch of kids that were close to my sister. So I always thought him as like friends with my sister. Mm. Um, he'd been to my crib when he was younger, when he was in the emo band. Right? That's crazy. I was like, who the fuck are these kids? From first to last? I think that was the name yeah, of his band, like bro. That. Yeah, think... so one time he came to my crib like yeah. way back in like the house where my parents live was close to the school that he and his friends went to. Um, so yeah, me and Sonny go way back, but that... We kind of now we're real close. We talk all probably yeah. once a week. That process was just like it was kind of 
us just building out what we wanted to do. Like it was just me and Barney like figuring out who we wanted to be in this world. Cause like at that same time we were still developing artists. So yeah. I was like developing the chill black guys. And like, I was still, I was really close with Jesse in the neighborhood. This is before they popped off. So me and Barney did the first Wetter Weather music video. The one was just like half and half. The um, one that blew up to like yeah, fucking yeah, the, a yeah, Before they got views? signed and all that shit, yeah. Wow. And then, and then kind of me and Barney parted after that and I did a lot of their creative direction, all the branding for their first photo shoots, for the album, marketing, all that kind of stuff. I, I was actually there for all that. Um, and then we did like a party for, for the when they put out the album. It was sick. It was just kind of like really just a lot of it figuring it out ourselves yeah. kind of time. My process in this career started probably my my it's in my whole life. Like my parents raised both my parents from third world countries, so music Damn, is how we like bro. learned English. Didn't know that yeah. is how they learned English. Like popular culture is how they learned English in a lot of ways. Watching James Dean movies and Marilyn wow. Monroe movies or Michael Jackson and Prince and Elton John. And that's the shit. So there's a lot of pressure. I feel like for third world. Yeah, the country we have to have a kid like yo you have it so much easier yeah, well, than us you better yeah, make well, shit happen am i well, right honestly i feel like the american dream is a lot more understood for kids like us yeah. than african americans have to grow up in america because like there's much more of an attachment to um no attachment like they don't have any understanding of where they come from in a lot of times in a lot mm -hmm. of ways because that's what America did. They cut off slaves from their roots and their yeah. culture and who yeah. they are and where they're from. And they had no ties back to Africa. And they took away their names and gave them names like Johnson and William and all kind of shit named after the slave owner who owned them. So like um, on a mental health level, like they've gone through 400 years of slavery. Um, whereas for us, as like being first generation Americans, like we are kind of showing up in America as... America's kind of changing as, as it's constantly kind of uprooting all the fucked up shit that America's built off of. Um, so we have this unique opportunity where we have parents who don't have none of that on their head. All they have on their head is I used to live in the worst fucking conditions I've ever lived in. Here we have a con we have the opportunity and to put you through these schools. They're not bringing the baggage. They don't have the they baggage. Have whole, yeah. No, it's all opportunity. You know what I'm saying? It's all a positive thing where like the other way around that's a like, very very good point if you, you're like you you grow if you grew up in america as a black person there, there's so much fucked up next level shit that you are holding on to and baggage that is going through your family and through your world and through your mind it's it is impressive for anybody to have that on their shoulders and to make something positive out of it yeah for sure it's for sure. it's a wonder why you know Amer people come from other worlds and run here because there's a billboard saying the American dream, but there's nowhere for Americans when they look out that says, oh, the this dream, you know what I'm saying? And like, yeah. um, you know, a lot of what people like, you know, Berna stand for is like, yo, come back to Africa. Like, there's a lot there for you guys mm. to to learn from and get reconnected with and, and regrow from and, and um, build out from. So yeah, that's how I learned English, was like through popular culture. And like, it was always like music was always number one. like. The first time I had money, probably I had like twenty dollars when I was seven, and I uh, I bought Master P. The Last Dawn Two was the first CD I bought. I think I remember that one. It yeah, was the one where he did all it the had like the ridges on it. Had, it, had, shit. it, had, yeah. it had, yeah. had like the, the chain, and he looked yeah. like a fucking like pimp Monopoly. Yeah. It was green and gold, and um, they said, "You you know what a horse is? It's a big that don't fly." Yeah, that whole shit. Um, so my dad walked me. I got the, the parental advisory version. My dad walks me in. He goes, "Get anyone you want." 
I got the that's last dog too. That's like, I was like, yes, for sure. Probably more than $20. Back then, CDs like $24.99, especially their hologram double CD shit. So I got that. And then I got I got No Way Out, um, Puff Daddy and, yes. uh, and the Bad that. Boy Family, probably not too far along after that. So I got like lawyers about... watching lawyers, so I don't go broke. It's a biggie line, am I right? <laughs> yeah. So you already know what it is. So that was like, so that's how I started like learning how to assimilate with my, uh, my fellow students at yeah. school and at, like growing up. That's how I kind of caught on, and like right. my dad, my dad was super like into it. Like my dad loved Tupac and loved um, Kumo D and fucking yeah. Biggie and LL Cool J and all that shit. So like he's putting all that on to me, like from when I'm like four or five years old. Like it's basketball it's and music. Uh, I just ended up kind of always, I always leaned to both. Like I thought I was gonna be a baller my whole life. But, <laughs> Wait, um, I got All right, so I got to pause the storyline for a second because so far I feel like. You know this 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 pod is about like digging into like struggles, right? Yeah. And so far, I'm like, man, you you know, your first generation, so you didn't write, you didn't have that baggage with you, yeah. which makes it a little easier on you. Yeah. And then you found this bazillionaire neuro lady who like funded all your shit. So I'm like, yo, where's the struggle at, bro? Like, <laughs> like uh, I mean, I guess the struggle know. is everything in between. Like, those, yeah. I guess those are all the good points. Like, yeah, the struggle those are good is like getting people to believe you and like. Let's talk about that. Like, I love to open up those conversations about like, you know. All right, so before you found the investor, because she was an investor in you and Barney, yeah. right? Like, was it a minute like where you were trying to put your own shit on and there was like resistance there? Like you were just putting yeah. it on the internet or what were you yeah, doing? No. So before I was with Neuro, I actually worked for a independent record label called High Valley Entertainment. Okay. Um, and it was fully funded. It was like a funded independent company. We had studios in North Hollywood, amazing mixers built in. Bob Horn, who was doing like Akon shit, Michael Jackson shit. Mm. The guy who started that company is this guy named Greg Whitman. And he was like a, like an older brother and like a, a mentor. And, you know, he taught me good things. He taught me crazy things. He, he just <laughs> opened up. You know, he got, I just had a lot more opportunity yeah. um, through our friendship. But that wasn't how we actually met in the beginning. It was just like, I was going to school at Morehouse in Atlanta. I ended up getting a scholarship that was way more than my tuition. Mm. So when I cashed that, I was flying back home. Like I was, I basically set up my second semester of freshman year. Once I got, that's the first semester I was actually on probation. Oh, um, Cause I went to a really hard private school mm. before that. Um, I was doing the sports thing and I was on scholarship there as well. And financial aid, all kinds of crazy shit just mm-hmm. to stay in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially I, I got in because they, I was the only black kid in my grade. I had a, a uh, mentor, his name was actually Ramsey's Barden. He went to my school. He ended up playing in the NFL and won a ring with the Giants as a wide receiver. Tight. And in that same program, I was Tebe, Earl Sweatshirt's mentor. I was, remember that. Yeah, so Tebe was really like the first artist, probably like, I was like 15, he was 11. And like from when he was 11, that kid was just like, yo, I'm going to be the biggest rapper in the world. And Pre-Tyler. Like, pre to This is pre-Tyler, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like... He was just like a wild little kid. Like he had ADD or something. Like I never seen anybody like him yet. And at that time, he was doing music. He was like he was doing comedy. He was like at the Boys and Girls Club out on this side. Actually, they had a studio in it, so he would be mm. recording there. And then like every month, he had like a comedy show there. He was just a really talented kid. I remember he tried to like he's like yo, let's make a crump, let's make a crump group. <laughs> this is like right after Rise. So like crumping and all that, like Mr. Tommy the Clown and all that was still popping. So he was doing his crump shit. He's like, oh, you could be this guy. I was like, I was like, bro. You're about to go to a private school, like all that. That's <laughs> so funny. I, I'm like, I, I, but I, it was fun. Like I really loved him and his energy. And we stayed close after that. Like even when I went to Morehouse that year, 
he ended up going summer school at Morehouse. Like I was close with his mom's um, the whole thing up until he like I remember I had his first uh, his first project Earl. I, he sent it to me first, probably right when it was finished. I remember listening that to wasn't, it. That wasn't that wasn't did that have French on it where they put the drugs in a blender and like blend yeah, them that, up? That yeah, was yeah, that, right? Okay, okay, that yeah. was the first video. Mm-hmm. He sent me all that. He's like, "Yo, I'm about to put this out." I was like, yeah, it was crazy. You killed it. Like, I loved it. And then, like, he was gone. Like, Mom two, like, two, saw that video and was like, yo, like, like, like you gone. Within, like, two weeks of that, he was gone. And it's like, it was crazy. I, but, I, you know, I ended up. Did I you stay in touch when he was gone? We I talked wonder. a little bit. But then it got to a point where, like, he was he was fully in it. Like, he wasn't really reaching out to anybody. And the Odd Future shit was going crazy. So, like, wow. everything was just mad. First you artist, saw it with Earl, though, just to be clear. Like, you knew how talented dude yeah, was. Yeah, all his like, first songs oh, were produced yeah. by, like, my brother Cecil from somewhere else. And now he's an amazing producer. He works with all the artists from Burna to Neighborhood to Umi and, and so many things outside of that. Yeah, um, I was always a fan of Cecil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so Cecil, mm-hmm. all of from when... 4E, when, correct? Yeah, 4E. So yeah. when Earl was sly before he was Earl Sweatshirt, on this, like before he became on Future, he had a song called Molly Wop um, that was produced by Cecil. He had a song called Dad Ass. That was produced by Cecil. Can like, people listening still look these up on YouTube? Yeah, if you look up Sly, yeah. Dad Ass, or Sly, Molly Wop and all that, it's still out there. So... That's crazy. So I mean, yeah. I think it'd be crazy to tap into like Earl Prio F. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. just but see he was, what he, he was up to. He was just like you couldn't believe he was eleven or twelve rapping like that. Wow. He was like really like insanely intelligent. Like you could tell that his dad was a poet and his mom was a a, a teacher. And like he grew up like well, he had the right kind of education. Yeah, no surprise. Tools, you know what I'm saying? To yeah. be as um, advanced as he was. Um, and talking about the shit he was talking about, he was just like he was really, really, really good and really. I look talented. at that like you. You look at Kanye's like you know upbringing, same, very, same very, idea, very similar thing. Mm-hmm. And like Tebe stuff is deep rooted. Like his dad is from South Africa, so he has like these ties back home, um, and like here in America. So it's just like really next level kid in every mm-hmm. single way. Picked him up from school one day. I'm like, yo, bring you to the studio. Brought him to the Hive. He recorded it. I think he did that ass there. I remember I brought our future and stuff to the people I was working with. And they were like, nah, this is like some devil shit. We ain't gonna get it. Like, we ain't gonna get no money. Yo, for Tyler's this. wild though, right? Yeah, like, I mean, has I mean, Tyler been that wild? Always. Always. Yeah, I remember like Tyler. Give me, a, there, give me a nice Tyler story. Just know we've known each other since we were young. Since yeah. we were real, real young. Like, yeah. since we were like 14, 15. So the stories that we have are just go way back. I guess a real simple one I could give. So I was told you I was working with the kid, Alex. Yeah. So Alex, when he was putting out music, I was basically, I was his manager then. I just didn't know what the fucking manager was. I was just like helping with everything. I was running his MySpace. We were figuring out videos, creating all this shit. So I was running his MySpace. One day, Tyler messages him and is like, yo, dog, your voice is fucking sick. I'm doing it. This is what I imagine his voice sounds like. Um, He goes, I got a beat pack for you. I was like, all right, send it. He sends it. First beat's called like syphilis. I was like, I said, who the fuck is this nigga, dog? Like, I remember I'm talking, and Alex is like, he's at this point, we were kind of like closed off in like the creative people we were working with. So he was down to expand. And Tyler had a lot of the same like influences that we had. At that time, we were obsessed with Pharrell. Pharrell basically, anything Pharrell touched. Yeah, in, in my mind was like his yeah, favorite that album was, of all I mean, time, that, which no, is that was all of ours. Like, it, it was that between Entourage and In My Mind that basically shaped an era of creative people. Definitely in LA um, from like Tyler's, just a bunch of different kids. I feel like we all kind of like came up in that era of like yeah. the Neptunes and Pharrell. Kind of just, I mean, I remember there was one time at one out of every two songs on the top 40 was produced by the Neptunes. Our Future and like Earl, when they were first trying to get on though, like they were so different. Tyler's just next level. Like Tyler, to me, I, I was thinking about it not too long ago. I'm like, he's probably like our Pharrell. Next gen Pharrell. Pharrell, yeah. Kanye, but I feel like yeah. he has his head on more straight than Kanye. So more Pharrell. But he's like the next billionaire kind of creative. Yeah. The shit that he used to like draw on his jeans when he was 14 is like... 
the designs now that you see on all this golf link. I'm like, bro, he's been that person. My best friend, Tommy, he was working at Diamond Supply back when yeah. was, Fairfax, when was yeah. north of Rosewood. It was a small ass spot and Brock Marciano, who's now popping ass A&R. And Brock in the sandals. Yeah, he used to be the manager there. And Jimmy Gorecki, who was former captain of uh, Ice Cream Skate Team, he was a general manager there too. So it was like the three of them. They were bringing everybody by, like YG, Chris Brown. They were just bringing the hood. That makes sense. And, and like the culture. They're bringing the culture into Diamond and like built a whole culture out of that. Yeah. And Tyler was like there like runner he would go get them drinks and shit from like the corner store bro, and, that's like, crazy but that's just like how bit the big bro little bro mentality in, in the skateboard culture works is like you're grown you're a little bastard until <laughs> until you're not so when i was going back and forth between la and atlanta people started thinking i was still living in la even though i was going to college in atlanta because mm. i was going out here and i had a homegirl she was taking me out to clubs even though we were underage she, one of the people I met was Greg and he had his own label and we would kick it and I was playing music and all this stuff and we just started connecting just turned 19 yeah he's like yo like, why don't you come work for the label like so what you do you like everybody folks, was like I'm down so I, I dropped out of college moved to LA my parents didn't know they got me a crib for my job they Damn. started paying me monthly I was like yo ain't nobody gonna tell me nothing by the time I was supposed to go back to Morehouse for my junior year, I just didn't go. Yo, and these are the parents you talked to us about. about yeah, how my like... parents were pissed, dude. My mom, she didn't talk to me for a while. And I was like, obviously, I was also 19, and now I'm getting paid. And like, I'm, it was a very different... I really learned a lot through that process. I got to work on things I believed in, but nothing succeeded. Like, everything failed. Nothing worked. Like, our first band I signed was somewhere else, which was Cecil's band. My best friend, that's like my actual brother. We've been remember, I thought we, we took yeah. a meeting with Mike Karen one yes, time. Remember? Dude. <laughs> like, so, like, right out of high school, time. they won Battle of the Bands for the whole world out of mm. Hamilton. So, Hamilton wow. is like where you get fucking Sid from the internet and um, Shlomo and Baths and like a whole bunch of creators. I think Thundercat even went there. Like, Hamilton has a music program in it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a public school, but it has a magnet program for the science and for the arts, and their arts program. Is you really, get like the artsiest kids, yeah, basically. Yeah, there, yeah. Right, so the, yeah. the really mm-hmm. next level kids went there, still go there. Cecil went there, and their band won Battle of the Bands for their high school. Yeah. They won Battle of the Bands for California. Then they battled bands for America. Then they won Battle of Bands for the whole world against every band from like 50 countries. That's crazy. They came back, they're supposed to get a scholarship from Coke and all this shit. All that shit fell through. Like, Something happened. It was like right as the recession was hitting crazy. It was yeah. like a seven-piece hip-hop rock band, and everybody was a producer. Yeah. And there was four rappers. It was just like a weird setup, and it was like not as aggressive. Like, at that time, the Odd Future was opening up for them. Mm. So, we had a show. Real talk? Yeah, real talk. I remember I came back from my freshman year at Morehouse. The day I get back, we have a show, and it's Tyler and Haji. They were like second, and then somewhere else was the the headliner cecil's group yeah, yeah. so crazy that, like that's at that time but it was just like musically they were really really advanced but like they didn't know how to present themselves it was interesting to see those two things happen at the same time um but yeah and so it was like no it just didn't connect after that we put out that project um part of it was like the label we were at they weren't putting money behind the videos like they were like really they started becoming stingy about the wrong things and putting investments into things that wasn't helping the artists mm. um, because they had to they had a business to worry about. Okay, wait, this is a dope point of the story because here mm. you are, you recently dropped out of Morehouse yeah. to go do this, this and, it's and like, now this shit was like hitting a brick wall a little bit. Then were you tripping a little nah, bit? I just like, I'm not a really a tripper like that. To me, in my head, honestly, like... I'd be like, a lot of people be second-guessing themselves. No, like, like, I, bro, mean, like, I, I feel just, like uh, this is all I... Once I knew I wasn't going to play basketball, 
Let's yeah. be clear. Once I knew I wasn't going to the league, the after that moment, then there was like, this was like, I knew this that had to work. Between, yeah, like, like entertainment and media and uh, being able to like push culture through the arts, the dynamics of how people were taking on, taking their own lives and taking the lives of others. Like, it's music goes beyond language. It's like, to me, it's like music and coding are the only languages that any can speak to anybody. Do you know what Facts. I'm saying? Um, it doesn't matter. It's like zeros and ones and then something that like is intrinsic, whether it's melody or rhythm or something that connects to you, that you understand it, even though you don't know why. So I was like, I want to get into that. Like if like that's so I've been focused on that probably since I was like 15. I remember like in high school, we had like independent studies. My independent study was making an album. So as like I said, the company is kind of in this place where it's trying to figure out where it sits and how it continues to make money because they had a lot of funding and they were just kind of guzzling money every year. Mm. So they're like, all right, we have, they had like a couple different assets from production, not just music, but like uh, video production, like mm-hmm. music videos, all that kind of stuff. So like, like, let's get into more of the commercial space. So that's how I met Diana from Neuro. Um, she, we, they were like, they were looking to do commercials, digital commercials or something like that for YouTube or something at that time. It was not for TV. And they came to us. Yeah. We had a, we had a whole team set up for that. But. When we did the pitch, at that time, me and Barney started getting really close. So I brought Barney and I'm like, yo. And Barney, he went to CalArts, yeah. which is like like the That's supreme of art like schools. Top two yeah, or something yeah, in the country. Supreme yeah. art school. Uh-huh. So he's like, his understanding of art is like high level. And both his parents yo, are- Yo, his parents did the fucking Grammy, Paul Abdul yeah, video. Yeah, they Grammy nominated music video Was directors. That? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the Paul Abdul, the yeah, animation. Yeah. So they were the first people to bring animation into live action in, in music videos and all that stuff. Yeah. That was his parents. That's, that's wild. So it makes sense who he is and where he is. And he just like really was built into him. So I was like, man- I feel like he would be good to be helping us on this. So he started getting close with the Hive team and our creative side. So yeah. when we did the pitch, it was me and him that did to, the pitch. To Diana think, from Neuro. Right, yeah. I think we're like in a room full of 27 to 30-something-year-olds. I was maybe 21. He was 24. Mm. We did the pitch. Afterwards, probably like a day or two later, Barney called me. He's like, yo, those people we did the pitch to, like, they called me and they're like, yo, why would we hire that company when... It seems like you're the one that knew everything. He's like, well, no, nah, it was really me and Matthew. Like, we put the whole thing together. They're like, so, all right, what's up? We'll go with y'all. We don't need the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. I was like, yo, bro, let's go. Deuces. I was like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. I was, Because, bro, I just knew, like, because I, I was already riffing in this situation. It was like a couple months of, like, just, like, shit wasn't, we weren't on the same page anymore. And, like, yeah. the focus of the company and where it was going and the way it was being led and all that, was just, I wasn't eye to eye with it no yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, I could, and you know, things come, like I said, I, I believe that the next thing would show itself and that's what it was. So you like went through we, kind of a yeah, year of resistance year, point? Yeah, 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 putting out somewhere else's project, trying to push it, started working on the next project, never even put that Shit out. Shit wasn't cracking. We were kind of fucking with you at that time. Yeah. We went to my Karen. Yup. We went from fucking with it to it was weird, all this kind yeah. of shit. So, and in that time, a lot of other dramatic stuff is happening, personal to business. And I'm yep. just like, bro. This ain't it. Wow. This ain't it. I'm like, it's time to move. And I was getting uncomfortable. I could see my parents are getting uncomfortable. It was just- Let's talk about that, bro. Wait, mm. like, do you have that intuition of like, because I think it's what's so relatable is like, when do you keep pushing for something? And when do you just trust that you got to leap and move on to that next thing? I'd never want to leave something too early and like be a quitter. Because mm-hmm. obviously like, 
that's not what I'm trying to do. That's no, not what I'm getting into anything. But at the same time, I like to be um, absolutely realistic with myself and my goals and where we're heading. Basically, like, you know, you're, you're like, this shit wasn't working, so we pivoted real quick. Neuro is like, yo, we want you guys. And then you end up in this baller-ass spot at the Sunset yeah, Marquee. Yeah. So, like, we go to this... Working for Neuro. Our first meeting is at the presidential suite at the Sunset Marquee. And it was, <laughs> that was... <laughs> that was yo! And it was like her... Um, that was her, like, when I'm in L.A. crib, because her main crib is in Malibu. Because you know that 405 is two different states, like I've been trying to tell you. So when she was like, when she crossed over 405, she had another crib, which was the Sunset Marquee Presidential Suite. So that's where we had our meeting. Chopped it up with her for a bit. And then we were like, yeah, we want to do this. Let's like, let's go. Like the next day or two days later, they had paperwork. We signed it automatic. Started creating businesses, all this kind of shit. And we didn't really know what we were signing. We were just signing. We're like, yo, this is crazy. Like the amount of money they were paying us. I was like, what the fuck is yeah. going on? And how old were you guys? I was, I just turned 21. Barney, he was just turned 24 That's crazy, bro. So we're both getting paid crazy, like crazy, yeah, crazy. I was like, well, um, so I'm like, all right, let's do it. So we get into it. We start building. They are investing us to create a company that's a creative production company. Did she want like Pepsi to come to you guys one day and do something for Pepsi? Yeah, we ended up doing something for Nike during that time. And we were also developing artists and they let us continue to do that. She was also developing artists. Because we were building our shit into it. So, like, they were doing, like, all right, Neuro's going to South by Southwest. And right. We put our artists performing at their... Did you, you did that? Yeah, we did all that. I mean, so... And you guys were always about the art first, I feel like. You know, you were all... Like, that caliber had to be there. Because I remember one time, real quick, you'll you'll find this funny. Uh, uh, Barney did something with an artist that was kind of whack. And he didn't even want his, like, credits or knowing on it. Like, he just... <laughs> Barney, Barney was, you know, he's... he's Shout a, out, Barney. He's, he's a, Shout out, he's a, he's a staunch. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's a real art guy. Like, he put me on this... Like I said, he taught me so much about high art. And I was already into stuff. Like, I was into Bauhaus early yeah. on. Like, yeah. And he just kind of expanded that. Like, put me on to Gilbert and George and just a whole bunch of Aphex Twin. Like, he just, just put me on all these, like, really super, super left things that, that wasn't the things that I grew you up were, on. You I weren't really going to find out about this shit without Barney, basically, I don't think. Yeah, like, like to me, at that point, indie was, like, the L.A. indie scenes. Mm-hmm. Beck and Kate Bush and, yeah. and Regina Spector. Like, that, like, to me, was indie. Like, that was, like, when hip-hop died and all that, yeah. that was the stuff I started listening to. Yeah. And, like, then that started being the stuff that got sampled by hip hop artists. Like that's what Kid Cudi was sampling and Drake was sampling, 100%. like the Colin Monroe's. That whole era of like, yeah. all right, hip hop died, and then alternative came, and then hip hop started sampling alternative, mm-hmm. and then it got softer with like the Drakes and the Kid Cudi's and all that. And then when he put me on the like, oh, this is like experimental as shit. Like this is so left of everything. And then and he started introducing me to all the we did it dudes, which his brother is one of the creators. Mm. Um, Ground is lava. That's Jasper. right. Yeah. So and I met those dudes, and they just like kind of opened up my mind. So like all, that, all that, stuff. everything you just explained is kind of happening when you're newly with Neuro, right? All that shit's yeah, happening, all happening yeah, at the same yeah. time. Like we're like me and him are just, obviously we created a company, so now me and him are like brothers. We're sleeping on each other's couches. I'm going to his crib, his parents' crib. He's going to my parents' crib. We're just going back and forth. We started getting bread. We were like living in the Sunset Marquee too because they got us a suite there as an you, office. You must have felt like, bro, like I'm at the top of the world, right? At that point, you must have. I remember that, like maybe the second or third meeting we had was in Malibu and we're sitting down um, with the owner of Neuro and she, it's just me and her chopping it up, looking at the ocean in her backyard. And she just looks at me, she goes, you know, by working with me, you just basically advance your life 10 years in your career. 
like you skipping today, you're skipping like, 10, 10 years, years forward like today, <laughs> bro. Yeah, she that's what she said oh she like she swear i swear she looked i remember she looked at me she goes like yeah i advanced your career by 10 years automatically can we call that a flex that's a flex it was, and, like, and when she said it to me i'm pretty sure i was like high as shit because me that's another thing me and barney were like smoking a lot of weed like barney like he was just like his car he had a prius dude the shit smelled like the inside of a dirty bong bottle at all times like it was just like that was my life i was like inside of a bong water <laughs> face and he, he actually lived right around the corner his parents were around this area that's um, amazing i was just like it was so i'm like listening to her say that i'm like yeah that's fucking crazy and then like i think that day guy richie pulled up because like <laughs> guy richie's kids were playing with her kids was like, okay. Was Elton John pulling up too? Like no, they were dude. like homies, so, right? Like, yeah. Oh, dude. Like, no, no, no. I mean, one day, like, we had just put out a music video for one of her artists, and it, that was a struggle putting that out. We finished that that night. We go out, and she go. Like, we went out, we got lit. We went in. The next day, we get a call at like maybe four a.m. They're like, "All right, yeah, we're going." I'm like, "We're going where?" I forgot the night before that she'd been telling us like, oh, Elton John's doing like the opening of Red Piano something in Vegas. We could go. It's 5 a.m. There's like a doctor knocking on the door. They have like <laughs> B12 shots and all kinds of shit. They hit us with these B12s. I'm waking up since I'm like blind. I'm so blackout. We go on to a PJ. Go to <laughs> go to fucking Vegas. Go watch the Red Piano. Meet Elton John. Meet all these people. I was just like I realized like all right this is definitely a different it's a different aspect of it um, and it, it, we learned a lot again but that's the one time I could say like not knowing about contracts not knowing about businesses we lost every like as quick as it came it went like we, it was like probably like a two year stint we were still kicking at that right yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and I, I remember but there was this point where you know a gun was found in the house and was that <laughs> <laughs> was that like did did she yeah. go left there or was shit already kind of going left. Thank you so much again for tuning in to today's episode. It really means the world to me. If you heard anything relatable that created new awareness for you, please visit our podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or review. This helps build our audience. Please comment, like, and share this episode out with your family, friends, coworkers, or anyone who you feel would benefit from the messages shared in today's episode. I'm really, really grateful for your help in spreading these messages of hope and wisdom. The world is in such great need right now, and your support helps carry the message onward to others who need it. Also, please consider becoming a monthly financial contributor to the podcast. You can do so by visiting connectionismagic.com and clicking on the Patreon link. Patreon is a third-party platform which helps support creators in exchange for exclusive content and offers. You'll be able to get discounted merchandise like comfy hoodies, t-shirts, as well as retreat discounts where we'll have special guest speakers and group activities to connect you with like-minded community members. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, please stay connected.